This is Chris Sullivan, and you are listening to the Angry Millennial Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the Angry Millennial Podcast with your host, Jose Rosado, and co-host, Stevie Chris, where we talk to creatives and entrepreneurs from all walks of life and passions about the creative lifestyle, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Be sure to check out our site, theangrymillennialshow.com, and sign up for our newsletter to be eligible for prizes and giveaways, as well as stay up to date with new shows and upcoming guests. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, Jose here. I know you've heard the name before, Digital Transitions. You've heard them on the show. They are the leading reseller of phase one medium format digital systems. They do sales, rentals, support, and training of phase one, ISO, Arca Swiss, Cambo, and Photo gear. They have locations in New York City and now Los Angeles, and of course, everywhere at digitaltransitions.com. Yet today, the reason why we have them on the show is awesome. Digital Transitions is actually looking for a new head of design, web, and social media for their New York office. It's a great opportunity with an amazing company. We're going to have a link in the show notes, the job description on Digital Transitions site. So you guys can check it out, make sure it's a great fit, and then be sure to stay tuned because at the end of this episode, we're going to go over a ton of amazing discounts that Digital Transitions is giving away just for Angry Millennial listeners. All right, let's get on with the show. What's going on, AM Nation, and welcome to the Angry Millennial Show, where we chat with creatives and entrepreneurs about the creative lifestyle, the good, the bad, the ugly. Today, we have author and mentor's mentor, Ken Rabo. Ken, thanks for taking the time out. Oh, it's a pleasure, Jose. Thanks. It's nice to be here. So let's get right into it. Um, tell us about how it all started for you. I know you've done a lot with music, alternative medicine, uh, and meditation. Um, so what kind of came first for you uh, growing up? It's funny. It all started with drums. Nice. I was, yeah, I love drums. And my mom would get calls from the nursery school teacher when we were having little shows. And mm-hmm. they'd say, is little Ken going to be there? And like after the third time, third show, my mom said like, he's five. Like, <laughs> what's the big deal? And they said, oh, Ken is the only one who can hit the cymbals on time. Oh, wow. And as my mom told it, she would say, that's when I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and so I always loved drums. And um, I started playing seriously at age 13 and started playing professionally at age 17. Did a whole bunch of like music theater as, you know, wow. doing drums and timpani and vibraphone, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, um, like the moment I started drumming, I started teaching. Like as soon as I knew a groove, Right. I wanted to show it to some neighbors who thought it was really cool. Nice. I've always loved teaching and I've always loved drumming. And so that's kind of how it started. And what happened after that was um, I wanted to get better. Right. And uh, I was working at my parents' store. It was a TV store as a salesman and schlepper carrying very, very, very heavy. And those days um, it was like these ginormous, TVs and mm-hmm. they would have these things that were like a TV, a radio, and a record player. And honest to God, it took four people. Oh, I believe to lift it. them. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they would be the size of like you know like, like four or five feet, you know, three feet by three feet. Right, right. And I remember one guy lived 
on the fifth floor. I'll never forget this. Oh my God, a fifth floor. And the elevator wasn't working. <laughs> no, no, it wouldn't fit in the elevator. It was so damn big. Oh, and, and so here I am, of course, who do they put on the bottom? Me. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my, that was, I think, my lesson of, yeah, I so want to do music and not do this forever. <laughs> so I searched out great teachers. And with mm-hmm. the money that I made, I didn't know what I was looking for. I was actually looking for a mentor, someone to inspire me. And I, mm-hmm. I went to some great people. I was in Montreal at the time in Montreal. I went to people in New York. I got a scholarship to a place called the University of Miami Jazz School. Oh, wow. And it was pretty cool on vibes and drums. And then I put myself on a waiting list for this uh, drummer, drum teacher, truly a master uh, in Toronto. And they said, uh, um, like, you know, when you play like a regular groove or a beat mm-hmm. if you count the clicks on a metronome it'll right. be like it's typically around 106 to 120 beats per minute that's mm-hmm. how we so to play a, like a song like a slow song's 80 you know medium songs like 110 and so when someone told me about this mentor they said he makes you play at 40 Whoa. for a year wow. <laughs> so a groove sounds like doom doom ja god she's like really yeah and I said, after I'd been to all these people who said, I'm going to make you the fastest drummer. I'm going to make you the quickest drummer. But it's the worst thing you can do. Yeah. yeah and I, then I was thinking, well, if it's the worst thing you can do, why are you teaching me this? And this guy changed my life. And he taught me the art of life through drums. Wow. It was amazing. And you were and, around college age at this time? Yeah. So I was like, I think I was like 19 or 20. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I'm just going to come down for like two or three months. Like I, I, I was at the end of the waiting list. He goes, oh, there's no point in doing two or three months. It'll take you a year to understand what I'm doing. I expect him to say, we don't have any dilithium crystals, Captain. <laughs> but he didn't say that. <laughs> I just and don't have the power. <laughs> we don't have the power. <laughs> and uh, um, so I went like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But I went down. And I went on the wrong day. And it was a four-hour, three-hour, oh, four-hour session. So I go there, and there's another guy there. <laughs> At the time, I was smoking weed. So. <laughs> I'm not saying that had anything to do with it. But, right, right. Uh, and he goes, uh, Ken Rebo, you're supposed to be next week. And this is Toronto, right? I just drove here from Montreal. Wow. Uh, so I, uh, I'm like, my head's like, going, and he goes, I'll tell you what, come back at 1 o'clock. So I come back at one o'clock. So the guy just did a three, four hour session mm-hmm. and then he does one with me. And I play a bossa nova, I play a, a, a jazz waltz, like a three, four thing, a swing thing. He was a jazz drummer. And, uh, and then he proceeds to tell me all about myself, like for five minutes. And mm-hmm. some might disagree, but most of it I went like, wow. Yeah. And I realized this is the real deal. This is a true master, this right. is a true mentor. And so I just never went to the University of Miami Jazz School. And uh, I was also studying, well, studying. I was playing with a top jazz guitarist in, uh, in our little country of Canada uh, called Nelson Simons. Um, and uh, he was also just like, he was someone I went to watch for three years and then I got to play for two years. Mm-hmm. But I thought, okay, I've got like a monster teacher. I've got a monster jazz guitarist. I play jazz six nights a week. No one was doing that anymore. Wow. Ended up doing it for two years. I said, this is where I should be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, um, I really learned so much through Jim. And it really changed who I was. And he said, you can only be as great an artist as you can be a person. Hmm. And I bought into that. And yeah. I like 
the other thing he wouldn't do is he wouldn't let me teach anymore. And he said, I'll take you two years to understand really the whole thing. You can't be teaching until I tell you. Said, okay, fine. Wow. And, and, and he said, I don't, well, I don't know if you pick up anything from me. I kind of don't do what people tell me to do. Yeah, but yeah, he, yeah. in the first session, he said, if I tell you to sit in a corner for half an hour a day, you'll sit in a corner for half an hour a day. And I went, yeah, all right. Like, <laughs> I was so jazzed on him that that it was such a pleasure to find a great mentor to someone that could could in loving ways call you on your shit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and also uh inspire you yeah you yeah because you need you need a little bit of tough need. love you know you yes. need a little bit of tough love along with um you know the the fact that you feel right like you're making some sort of progress cuz I, I can think deep down we all <clears throat> excuse me deep down we all want to appease lots of people, right? So it just depends who in our life. Excuse me. <coughs> it depends who in our life that is. That's very true. And for, like, for instance, when you were telling me this, the first thing I thought of, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Whiplash. If yeah. Ha- I okay, I was going to say, if you haven't, you definitely I knew that guy, it. by the way. Oh, wow. That's pretty awesome. But yeah, like you said, it, it's, it's a mix of like what you just said. Call you in your shit. Motivate you. Yes. And and make you feel like you you are making some progress, even though yes. um, to what you're used to, like you said, it was incremental compared yes. to what you were used to, um, and and also pushing out of your comfort zone. And that's a big thing too, yes. because it's so, like you said, it's you love teaching since you were five. It's over, and you're like, well, well, so it was over <laughs> for five years. Yeah, well, still, yeah, then, to a point, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was willing to do it, and it's something that I love. Mm-hmm. There's something about becoming Nietzsche would call it the camel you know when you're the camel and you put all these loads and you and you trust the person to put all these loads and you go ah, yeah, put more loads yeah, yeah I'm good with that um, it's and it's an important part of us finding that development we need as man I'm going to talk about that a little later yeah but uh, so that was all important for me I had always now we'll get to the, all the other stuff so um, <laughs> I'd always been told I had good quote unquote power as as a healer. Yeah. And I was a jazz drummer. I was like, okay, that's good. I've got gigs, don't bother me. Right. And then my my dog Katie, a Briard, beautiful, beautiful dog, got hip dysplasia in her mm. later years. And I was freaking and I never did this that day. I prayed. And uh, you know, what should I do? What should I do? And on the my TV on my big screen TV um came uh, um which then was like, you know, 30 inches. <laughs> yeah. Um Came this article about Reiki, and I went, "Yeah, that sounds really cool." And I went down to my locals, Montreal. There's a lot of mm-hmm. like kind of funky stuff, right? In yeah, yeah. And uh, I went to this alternative store nearby, and someone was putting up a sign for Reiki, and it was all in French. And I said, "Well, you know, I can kind of speak French." She says, "You know what? Um, I can do an English one just for you, but instead of us taking like a week, we'll do it over two days, and we'll mm-hmm. do two days intensive." So I just had her and myself. And um, like I thought my head was going to explode when she did some stuff that you close your eyes and they kind of attune you. Mm-hmm. And my brain just like my, my head just like opened up, wow. which was scariest <laughs> shit, you know. And, okay, you know, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. And I go home and I start doing what she showed me on Katie. And I put my hands there and Katie just like passes out and just chills completely. Mm-hmm. And uh, the third time I did it on Katie, the same, she moved her body to show me where my hands should be. Mm-hmm. And I had been told that when you do Reiki, oh, you can think about whatever you want, and you you know you just you just put your hands there and let let it do its stuff. Mm-hmm. Katie was a, a French shepherd called a Briard, 
And so she's always next to me. But if I would let my mind drift, she would literally get up, literally put her nose up in the air and walk out of the room like, no, <laughs> don't do it like this. So right. she actually trained me to be there. And I started experiencing, it's like um, a funnel. It's like these counterclockwise circles going smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. And you could see where it was not moving well or where it, like it was bumpy. Mm-hmm. And with sending energy, you could allow it to start moving. And so I started telling people this thing that went, Try it on me. <laughs> so I started working on people and then I started working on friends and then friends of friends and then I had psychotherapists sending me people and I was making more of a living because um, I was teaching. Uh, finally, Jim allowed me mm-hmm. to, to teach drums and I loved it and I did the same thing. I said, this is about growing as a human being. So some people hated me because it was like, look, I want to just learn technique. I'm like, fine, go somewhere else. You know, yeah. I want you to be an artist and that means that you have to grow as a human being and you have to be willing to do this. It was a three-year course. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I started doing the, the Reiki and what happened was I noticed that a third of the people, cause they were with psychotherapists. So you'd see them year after year. Mm-hmm. And a third of the people after a year were like doing either the same or better after I quote unquote helped them. Mm-hmm. A third of the people were kind of doing like meh overall the same. And a right. third of the people either had the same problem or like, it seemed like almost like, Oh, instead of that problem, you have this problem now. Right. And so I started looking at these people and talking to them. And what I found was that first group and a bit of the second group did three things that changed their lives. This mm-hmm. is really important for your listening audience yeah. um, and us. <laughs> something They do something creative, something reflective, and something physical. Mm-hmm. So something creative, usually something your parents said, don't bother, you'll never make a living at it. That's right. the thing you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Something reflective. It could be prayer, could be meditation, could be visualization, could be um, if you do it properly, um, affirmations. Mm-hmm. Most people do it back, but there's good ways to do all those things. And, and something physical, um, the best one being go for walks yeah. without any electronics on. Yeah, something about the human body, and you move your arms, you move your legs, and you re you uh, you rebalance everything. Um, you know, people a hundred years ago, they would they would like philosophers, scientists, they would go for walks for an hour. Mm-hmm. That's when the greatness would come to them. Yeah. So those three things, I call it crap. <laughs> <laughs> um, those are the things that were really important. Mm-hmm. And what happened was uh, everything was doing great. And then as Montreal was often prone to do, we had another referendum about whether we were going to be our own separate country and everything like just stopped. No one was spending extra money. And instead of um, my full, full, uh, you know, um, practice, it literally just stopped the day after the referendum. Oh, and it was wow. like, no one was spending any extra money. Cause they were like freaking out. Yeah. The, the, the no side didn't, the yes, no side won. the, the separate separating side didn't win, yeah. but it was really close. Yeah. And so I was like meditating and I'm meditating and I'm thinking, what the heck should I do? And the voice, this voice that only comes to me once in a while said, go to Toronto. No, like, oh, that's an interesting idea. Go to Toronto. Yeah. And I said to my friends, boy, I said, go to Toronto. And they went, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to Toronto and I started working with young people, um, doing my music. And, uh, I also, uh, can read Hebrew. So I was teaching kids who hate Hebrew and hate singing to sing in Hebrew. Hmm. And what I said, okay, I tell the school, give me two grand worth of professional percussion. And what I do is, hey, 
if you sing on this song, you get to pick an instrument that you can play. And like they were singing their little hearts. And I did like cool arrangements and I did a lot of recordings so that I made it a lot more fun. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, thank you. I, it was fun. And then um, I got hired by um, an art-based school to do music projects and then 9-11 hit. So mm. like I'm home, everyone's in school and I'm watching this and you know they play the same thing over and over oh, again. Yeah. And each it's, doesn't matter if you're Canadian or American. I think anybody, any decent person looking at that was just devastated watching it. Yeah. And I couldn't stop watching it. Same things overnight. I couldn't stop. So now I have to go to school. It's like, I don't know. I think I started at one. So like I've had the whole morning I've been watching this over and over again. I'm going to school. So first thing I do is I go to the principal and I say, they know. And she goes, no, we haven't said anything. We're going to have a um, an assembly at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Don't say anything. I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. So I go, and, and what do I teach? I teach friggin' music. <laughs> I don't want to teach music. So for the next week, I couldn't teach music. So what I did yeah. was I talked to all my, my guys, and these are middle school kids, so they're ages uh, 10 to 13-ish. And I said, um, what makes you feel safe? Mm-hmm. And what makes you not feel safe? And right. so many kids said, um, I'm afraid of being humiliated or being made fun of standing in front of people and saying my thing. Right. And so I thought, okay, each one of you will get a chance to be me. Each one of you are going to get a chance to be the teacher one time a year. You get to come up on, in, up here um, and you'll, you have 15 minutes and you can either play an instrument or you can sing a song or you can do a report on an artist, like a band that you love. Um, and um, so they all started doing this and, they, and it was really cool, right? Because they get to be the teacher. And I thought that was so important. And then I had parents coming to me to save their little Timmy. Little Timmy can't do this because he's afraid. I said, you tell Timmy that Ken won't let him go up. He should come talk to me. I will not let him go up until he says he's ready. Yeah. And I started using all these techniques I had done in the healing thing and, and, um, and the creative reflective physical stuff. I started using this with these kids. And they aced this stuff. Like they nice. just soared through it. They became great public speakers. They became uh, great performers when they were so afraid. And when they said, oh, by the way, little Timmy also uh, has a video game addiction or he's having what's called incopresis. He's having bathroom accidents at age 12 and 13 and whatever. Uh, and he has this phobia about this. So I, I started taking all these things and then looking at these people. And these were millennials, yeah. right, like seven, you know, earlier on. And um, I realized that they... Because of the internet, they're like the first generation landed citizens of the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And the boomers are the immigrants. And that's a huge disconnect. Yeah. And so what I learned through teaching Jim's system was I go to where you are when I mentor you, when I teach you. Mm-hmm. And so I started seeing how they were different and how they perceived and I loved it. And I worked with them, and they were successful. And they would get over these problems. It would take six months or it would take a year. It's a slow process, just like the way Jim made me do it. But it was a slow and steady growth that was permanent inside. Mm-hmm. Not an easy fix. And that was sort of the beginning to this. And then uh, someone was in a hurry, went the wrong way, taking his kid to an after-school program, hit my car, partial thickness tear of my rotator cuff, Ooh. which is fine unless you play drums or piano. <laughs> yeah. 
so I like after a year and a half of terrible pain and all this stuff, um, the insurance people said, you got to find a new gig. You can't go back to this. And, uh, I knew how to sing in Hebrew and stuff and I have a good baritone voice. And so, uh, some people said, you should be a cantor, the singing guy in the synagogue. And so I, I studied and I spent all my money doing this. And I was still working with a few clients doing the, the mentoring, mm-hmm. um, kind of as a hobby. Like I'd always have four or five clients like that. And then after two years, I realized I'm not good enough to be world-class. And I felt in me something was world-class. And I turned to my wife one day and I said, I wonder if there's more fucked up kids than just the ones I've heard. <laughs> Boy, there are. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I started writing for something called Our Kids Magazine. And when the editor left, he said, Ken, you have to start writing for Huffington Post. And he got me in touch with them. They saw my writing. And I've written over 60 articles. They often put me on the front page. Of mm-hmm. And uh, I loved it. I love writing. And um, then I got my website up. And I, I started um, talking to, to parents who, you know, there's so many millennials. There's like two groups of millennials, right? There's mm-hmm. the millennials who... Um, they're the dancing monkeys. They do what the world wants them to and they put it together and then they come out and it's like, dude, everything you promised me doesn't work anymore, right? Yeah. What was this about, man? I owe a fortune. Um, I, 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 I getting part-time jobs. I'm working at Starbucks and I have a master's in blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so there was a whole bunch of things that I taught them on on different ways to work on that. And then there's the other ones that I, that are the main thing that I worked with, which are, you know, the guys, the Justin timers, guys and gals who like in high school, like pulled it out of their butts the last minute to get good marks. They go to university and now they have like weed everywhere. They have like permanent internet access and they have, they're given a a credit card, real good recipe for success. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, you know, they just are smoking and playing video games. They don't bother going to class. And then in mid-November, they realize they're screwed. And they say, I know if I smoke a whole bunch of weed and play some video games, I won't mind. I won't care. Yeah. And um, that's what they do. And that's when I get called. Yeah, you know? Kind of like an avoidance thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. It, and it makes sense because n- very few people have helped them find the recipe for greatness. And mm-hmm. they need a different recipe. So I, I know, and kind of speaking on that, I know, like you said, a lot of your articles talk about, like you said, us millennials, right? And me being on the cusp myself um, in my early 30s, I, I mm. kind of feel like I'm able to take a, a big picture look, right? On True. what happened to our generation, mm-hmm. that this period is really honestly unlike anything our generations the last 60 years have dealt with. You know? Absolutely. So we have the advancement of technology, huge amounts of mm-hmm. college debt surpassing credit card debt. Um, right. Ever shifting workplace culture, societal pressures, and labeling, right? right? Yeah. Yes. And then you you choose to so you choose to really understand them as a way of helping other genera- other generations realize that we're often misunderstood. So why is that? I mean, so you yourself are you like a Gen Gen Y or Xer or baby boomer? I'm a boomer. I'm okay. I, I'm two years late for being a boomer, but I'm technically okay. a boomer. Yeah, yeah, okay. And um, what? I do is, you know, I'm most of what I've been doing up until the last two years. Now Mm -hmm. I'm training people to do what I do, but has been to mentor troubled teens, young adults, but also their families. Mm -hmm. And when the parents come to me, they're just completely at a loss. Right. 
and nothing has worked. And when I work with a client, I start with three very simple questions. Pick out three goals. Right. You know, what are the challenges to those goals? And what will be the first indicators of success? Mm-hmm. And they're so used to you. You're talking about labels. They're so used to walking around with their label on like a big billboard on top of their head. Hi, mm-hmm. I'm ADHD. Hi, mm-hmm. you know, I'm right. schizophrenic. Hi, I'm right. whatever. Um, and uh, we are not our labels. Yeah. And so what I do is I don't go to that. I don't try to focus on, we amplify what we focus on. Mm-hmm. So if what you're focusing is fixing what's bad, you're just, your brain, your subconscious is saying bad, 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 bad over and over again. And I don't do that. I just say, okay, pick some goals. What's yeah. stopping you from those goals? And then what we do is a daily routine. The parents stand back. They let me do my work, usually. And then at some point, they start to see some changes. And I say, what's some stuff that you really want Skeeter to work on? And they'll say, well, you know, like he's um, smoking weed and then driving or, you know, whatever it is that is the issue. Mm -hmm. And we want him not to smoke weed at all. I figure good luck with that. So (laughs) um, what I do is I ask them, I say, okay, your parents are talking about this thing. Is it a problem? Right. Well, sometimes. Okay, so then we have to figure out, well, why are they smoking weed? And that's a funny question, but there's a whole bunch of reasons why people smoke weed. Sometimes smoke people, there are Rastafarians who actually smoke weed as a spiritual and ritual thing. That's a whole other kettle right. of fish. Right. But for most people, they're doing it you know, for a bunch of reasons, and it may be uh, anxiety, so they're self-medicating. Mm-hmm. That's a valid reason at, at until you have a better thing. Right, until you find you another, know, another, uh, another uh, a route. Or, yeah. Exactly. They may be doing it because um, uh, they can't get to sleep. They may be doing it, a lot of them are doing it because their buds come over and they pull out the atomizer, they pull out the bong, and they want to be sociable and yeah, they don't yeah, want yeah. to feel bad. And so you have to say, well, okay, this reason, that reason, that reason. Which one is, okay, I also, here's one I love been watching a lot of really terrible shows and so <laughs> like i just can't TV? get through them I, I i didn't ask what oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on stage no and um uh and so i'll smoke like so that they're more entertaining i said here's a crazy thought yeah <laughs> <laughs> what if you don't watch those shows yeah and let's and so we start there you know and what happens is that as they learn that they can have control of themselves then I can go to the parents and I start to explain that it's not about just say no. That doesn't work. That you have to allow, uh, especially millennials who have access to such a wide um, birth of information, mm-hmm. you have to allow them to discover what is their truth. Mm-hmm. And you have to allow them to have what I call micro successes. And so I teach this to the parents and I have to help that generation get this entire different way of thinking that the internet has given millennials. And once they start to understand that, I give them little pieces of exercises so that they can make that connection. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm teaching people to do what I do. I'm training people to become professional mentors. And I have two main groups. And they're the millennials that want to do this who are in their 20s and stuff. And like they're, they got degrees and they can't get gigs and they don't want to work at Starbucks and they love helping people. Mm-hmm. And then I have boomers who when... They've either known someone who's gone through my process or they've heard about me or they've read some of my articles. They go, I'd love to do that. 
And it's a, it's a one year, I do what Jim did. You know, I said, I'll take you a year to understand what I'm doing. <laughs> and so for one year, you can't teach what I do. I, right. I help you rethink how do you become a detective instead of an inter- interrogator. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I'm trying to help that generation, the boomer generation, right. understand that millennials really are, like you said, I think they're the greatest generation since the World War II generation for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned, um, you know, the the dancing monkeys, right? I mean, I laughed because literally that was me, you know? And and it was it was funny because for me, it was the opposite. I was a shit student growing up and it wasn't like a, a D student, but I was like average, like C's and stuff. Right. Um, but it, it really wasn't until I got into college that I realized, you know, school can be interesting um, when it's stuff that you actually kind of care about, right? Um, but don't get me into the whole thing about making a kid at 19 just decide what they want to do for the rest of their life. But <laughs> you know, at least for that moment, it's something you're yeah. interested in. So right. so I ended up graduate with honors. I went and got my you know MBA, so I have my master's and all this stuff. But then I came into the workplace in 2006, right? So it was like one of the worst times. And it was so funny because I was – well, funny is a funny word. But I was in this limbo. <laughs> and it yeah. literally left me underqualified for certain jobs because I went to grad school right out of college – and I didn't have the work experience, but I was overqualified for everything else. Right. So, you know, like you said, well, um, what advice would you give to to people? Because there's a lot of us, you know, a lot of those dancing yes. monkeys yes. in our generation. Yes. You know, yes. let's kind of get into it. You know what I mean? Like, what would yeah. be something where you said, you know, like a lot of people, um, you know, when I talk to say to me, oh, it's like, you know, what's really neat is you guys are like this entrepreneurial spirit, you know, and, and you don't you have a problem with authority. And you want to do your own thing. And I go, ah, I can kind of see that. But I know for me, and I think a lot of other people, it was literally out of necessity. Like something shifted since the recession in the yes. workplace. Now everyone's a 1099 contractor. You know, lots yeah. of people are not full-time. So, you right. know, if you think about it like a, I don't know if you follow sports, but if you think about it like an athlete getting a one-year deal, but what does a one-year deal say to you as a player? It totally. says, that, you know what I mean? It says that, you know, they're not really invested in you and they don't yes. really believe in you. So yes. as a, as a professional, young professional, imagine going into a workplace where everyone gets a one-year deal. Everyone gets that you're not uh, uh, someone that they're going to invest in. You know, they're not right. the kind of person that they're going to really kind of um, uh, in your in your head care about. Well, yeah, yeah. that's going to make you feel like you're a bit disconnected and not really give a shit. You know, and True. maybe think totally. maybe I'll do my own thing and it's just me. I don't have to worry about someone else. Yeah. Um, so I always tell people like we get like you said we get a bad rep where. You know, we're, oh, we don't care or we're a feel-good generation or whatever. But I tell people it's really just the opposite. It's like, like you said, the baby boomers and, and Gen Yers or Gen X, like my, my um, you know, my, my sister is a little bit older. Their generation, the 90s were different. Like you put in the work, yes. you had, you literally had the success. You had, you had the, a gig. You had the it's gig. True. You had the, you know, the, the great um, salary and you kept making advancements. And right. It was amazing. Yeah. So imagine people who have the same right have the same work ethic, but there's nothing on the other end, you know. So, um, yeah. So, so what would be kind of your advice for a lot of us uh, dancing monkeys? (laughs) So, so you ready? Yeah. Let's get. Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) So there's two kinds of millennials. Sure. There's the thou shalts, and the thou shalt nots, and Mm -hmm. we'll change that into the different kinds of monkeys in a minute. Uh, Nietzsche talks about three stages of man. Mm-hmm. in uh, um, So Spoke Zarathustra. Um, and he talks, and, and it's interesting because uh, 
I believe Jesus talks about this too, you know, that you, you can only go into the kingdom. I don't know the exact words mm-hmm. as, as a child. Mm-hmm. And Nietzsche just talks about the same thing. He says, there are three stages of man. And the first is the camel. And, the, and when you were the camel, we're the student. And the idea is that we want, that you want to, you want as the camel to have the people you trust load you with more and more things to learn. This is the, this is the dancing monkey part. This mm-hmm. is where you say, yeah, give me, give me shit, you know, give me yeah. stuff, make me do it. You know, give me stuff that's going to like really make me feel like I'm doing something. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you go off into the desert and you become the lion. And the more loads that you've had, the bigger a lion you are. And the lion is there to slay the dragon. And on every scale of the dragon is thou shalt or thou shalt not. And your job at this point is to obliterate all the pressures of shouldas that have gone either generationally um, in your particular uh, group, whatever you know, you're connected to, mm-hmm. um, or even stuff that you see uh, in the media. You have to break all that apart. And then when you come out of the desert, you come out as the child. And it's the child that's not afraid to point and say, that's weird or, or <laughs> stuff like that. That's the one you've got to become. You have to become it. So I call this for my clients, the dancing monkey, the fuck you monkey, and the fuck it monkey. <laughs> and so a lot of people are, uh, are the dancing monkeys at some point. They're mm-hmm. trying to be that camel, but right. they're not even the camel. They're dancing. It's like, hey, look, mom. <laughs> Tell me how great I am, how you know, and uh, for right. our listening audiences, I'm dancing. Yeah, and um, th- and then some of them at some point go, "Screw you, mom! This didn't get me any." And they become the "fuck you" monkey, and right. either they do it through weed, or they do it through uh, video gaming, or they do it by becoming a barista and just giving up, right, or whatever. And ultimately, what we have to become is the "fuck it" monkey, and mm-hmm. um. I went through this too, and I'll explain it. So here I am. I'm studying with Jim. I have Nelson, this amazing guitarist, and I'm doing this for about a year, year and a half. I'm like, you know, he's giving me like eight hours a day of homework, mm-hmm. of practice, drum practicing, and then I'm gigging uh, ten o'clock till three. I think finished at two thirty every night, like, mm-hmm. you know, forty five minutes. That's boom, 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 boom after the other. And after about a year, I stopped, or a year and a half, I stopped practicing for Jim. And so I, I went to Jim. And one, he goes, you know, there's at that point, now I think it's a three-year waiting list. At that point, he has a one-year waiting list. He goes, there's a year of people waiting for your spot. <laughs> like, get yeah. going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he says, just go home and do five minutes. Like, five minutes? But you give me enough. So I go home, and I'm sitting on my drums. I can remember where I'm sitting, and I'm thinking, what's stopping me? Like, I have the perfect mentor. I have the perfect person to help me forward. Mm-hmm. And I can't do anything. And I thought, everyone says I'm such a talented drummer. So if I blow my brains out and do it, they'll go, yeah, big deal. We expect you to do it. And if I, I'm not the world's greatest drummer, they're going to say, oh, Ken, we're so disappointed in you. And I thought, I'm fucked. And then I said, fuck it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm just going to do my day-to-day thing and just try to be authentic mm-hmm. as thing that I love. Right. And so that's from the dancing monkey, to the fuck you monkey, to the fuck it monkey. And right. then one of my clients, um, mid Midwest states, called him more the Buddha monkey, which I like. So it's being in that center and it's just letting it, it go. Right. And so the question is, how do you guys, millennials, mm-hmm. become that? 
And Joseph Campbell had three words. He, he wrote hundreds of books, brilliant mythologist, but it all broke, broke down to these three words, follow your bliss. Right. So what do you do as a child that helped create timelessness, that, that made you forget time? Therein lies the myth to live by. Mm-hmm. And so entrepreneurialism is a valid road, as is working in any other industry following your bliss follow what you love yeah yeah i mean like you said it, it it's you get to a point where and and a lot of times i think like you said that that's where we get the whole feel good generation thing right from but but at the same time it like we talked about there was a disconnect it wasn't like we were ever not willing to put in the hard work it was just we were putting in the hard work and the end goal was broken this was the first time since ever right yeah. um so that was a disconnect. And then people started wondering, okay, well, if I can't, like you said, if I can't appease others or make everyone proud, uh, and then, you know, and then even if I start pushing back, then all of a sudden it's, oh, I'm being, um, a sort of, uh, you know, aggressive anti-establishment kind of person. And it's like, well, no, not necessarily, That's you know, right. but then you get to a point and for a lot of creatives, it's a similar yeah. struggle, right? Yes. So as a photographer, you know, you sit there and say, okay, um, I'm going to, you know, do work that I like in the beginning. Then you're going to appease others and, you know, um, make a living off of it. And then you're going to keep doing that for a couple of years until maybe you get burnt out or maybe you have enough success that you then can start turning things away. And right. and you start, like you said, getting to the, the Buddha or the fuck it monkey where you say, I'm going to do what I like. Yes. And everything else will either find, fall in its place or just fuck off, you know? Yeah. And, yes. and it's, it's, that is a very, it's like you said, it's almost like the, the coming to that, you know, your, your Zen, right. Or your yes. Nirvana where it's sometimes right. for a lot of people, it's years or decades. It's true to get to that point. And yet it could be in a minute. Yeah. 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 So, so it, it's really down to the, each individual um, and how aware they are, you know, of, of certain things. And, you know, yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's an interesting thing to watch. You know, because I'll I'll see friends of mine go through it. You know, and whether they're uh, the same age or maybe they started on the same time, I'll see them kind of go through this kind of peaks and valleys kind of thing, and then get to a certain point where they just say screw it, and then all of a sudden their career it really takes it, off. It takes off, yeah, right. Or they're or not, just, or they're or they're just happier overall. Exactly. You know, which um, is still great. Yeah, which is still great. So recently, the last few years, uh, I started teaching and I started, you know, out as I thought on the bottom, right, with the non-credit side with returning mm-hmm. adults as well as college age students. So in the beginning, I really thought it was like just paying my dues as a, as a teacher, right? And then I realized it was kind of this amazing gift because yes. it wasn't that I was just teaching, you know, a set age, you know, 18 to 20 year olds or something. It was, you know, I was teaching various generations from 20 somethings to 70 somethings about the same topic. Right. So that takes creativity and patience. Right. Right? So I know for you, like you were saying, you, the, the work you do with the young people, right. And teens mm-hmm. with their problems uh, and then also, obviously, knowing that you have to have a dialogue with their parents, you know, with, yes. those, with their parents. How have you seen that kind of meshing? Because, you know, as we know, you could be helping a student or I should say helping a, a mentee right. realize their potential. But what if it's still not what the parents want? You know, you might say, okay, I want to do this and I'm really hitting my stride. And then you have some parents who just go, 
oh, well, I'm glad they're happier, but we were really hoping they would go in this direction. And, you know, what you're trying to teach them is great and they have confidence and they have this and they have that. But, you know, you still have that kind of, not controlling, but um, expectations, you know, put yes. on them. So have you ever noticed that when you, when you, with your clients? It's, it's, it's not so much a problem with, with the, uh, the second group, the, the thou shalt not group. Mm-hmm. So the, the millennials who are really stuck and like they're stuck in their weed issues or whatever their addictions are, or, you know, I have a lot of clients, some of my most amazing clients come with mental health issues, you mm-hmm. know, uh, bipolar issues, depression, schizophrenia. And I have a large group of people who have Asperger's syndrome, mm-hmm. uh, as a diagnosis. And so a lot of times helping them find their greatness um, is well, it's the focus for everyone. And what happens with the thou shalt not millennials is the parents are so bereft of hope that they really, really listen for the first year, year and a half. Right. Yeah. And so, what I teach the parents and the millennials to do is to do what's called active listening, mm-hmm. which is, uh, and it's my version of it is okay, um, one of you is going to say, I would like to do active listening with you, and the other person, says, okay, if you can. Mm-hmm. And then the first person, the speaker, says what is their truth. And then the listener has to just say back what they've heard. Not, yes, but you really should just say back what they've heard. Mm-hmm. And then if they've got it right, then they have to empathize and then validate that position. Mm-hmm. And half the time, and it takes a long time to get this to work, by the yeah, way. So I sure. practice with the parents and then I practice with my clients. And then when I bring them together, you know, I, I've Skyped people as far away as Switzerland, oh, California, wow. um, Edmonton. Like, I have them all over the world. Uh, but that's the great thing about Skype. The only thing that messed me up on Skype is daylight savings. So Switzerland yeah. was two weeks later. And I'm freaking. My client's always there and he's not there. So I'm calling Switzerland. It's like, oh, they don't have daylight savings for two more weeks. <laughs> but outside of that, yeah. we practice this stuff. We do a Skype sharing thing. Um, and they learn how to do it. And half the time, one of them breaks out weeping because they're heard or they're hearing the other person for the first time. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so uh, what, what parents have to learn is what you knew about your child from uh, how, how they pooed and peed or, mm-hmm. you know, or how they started walking or when they started talking mm-hmm. is a different being. These are all different lives. And you have to let go of that and see this new being who has become an adult at, at 13 or at 19 or at 25, they're all different stages. Mm-hmm. And so it's helping them to see um, without the, the, the hindsight, without what they've known from before and see the person as they are now. That's the, that's the thing that I spend a lot of time teaching people. All right. And you said it, I mean, most people agree, right? That, that, truth has it we've all been teens at one point ourselves Mm -hmm. and as parents we really kind of the only thing we do is we lose touch with like the specifics right of what our kids go through because of the time difference like for instance um you know i I grew up where i knew uh when i was like 12 yeah we had a a a home computer and we had like you know dial up and we go in the chat rooms and i talk to friends right aol all that stuff yeah but now it's like our generation deals with like, you know, cyberbullying, you know, yeah, and, yeah, and, and shit yeah. like that, like stuff I never it's had to do it. But <clears throat> the, like at the, macro, yeah, yeah. at the macro level, though, 
all that stuff's consistent. So what is it? It's peer pressure, drugs, depression, outsider mentality, fitting in, um, you know, finding your voice as an individual and and hopefully making your parents proud. So, but what I'm wondering all the time is if those things haven't really changed, Mm -hmm. and maybe this is what you were talking about, that you have to get to that point because you both are, are at the same, let's just say you're both, you're both addressing the same things, but you're two, you're speaking in two different languages. Yes. Right. So that's what I always wonder about. So if those things haven't changed, why is there that disconnect for most parents? But I guess, like you said, it's, it's all the strung out shit. Like if we think about my parents, you know, um, I'm lucky that my parents are boomers and they, as, as, as very conservative and, sh- and strict as they were growing up, I was, I was never like you know stifled, you know, they were, they were great loving parents. But as I, got older i started you know seeing those disconnects and but the good thing was that like my father especially um was smart enough to go yeah your generation's fucked he's like i don't know, <laughs> like, I don't know how to say it i don't yeah. know when you when this economy is going to recover i don't know when things are going to turn around but it's you know it's a really shitty shitty bag that you guys were left with um so in that sense he kind of understood but i know for me hearing that you're not the only one going through it didn't make it any easier no. it never really yeah. did yeah. But um, yeah. So I mean, like, how, how, like we say, we sometimes we we sit there and say, as parents, we're frustrated um, that are we're trying. We think, well, I, I can say we are trying, but if our kids are not necessarily responding, then we think, okay, well, we're getting frustrated, and we kind of throw our hands in the air, and then they come to you right. as like a last ditch effort and say, <laughs> well, help us figure right. this out. Um, you know, so what have you known as like the, the reasons for that disconnect? Well, here's the first thing I would say. I I wouldn't say that the millennials are fucked. I'd say millennials, you are free. Mm -hmm. You have abilities that have never existed ever for any generation. Think about it. When, when boomers were growing up, the big deal was, um, when the record stores started selling CDs and were you going to keep records or you're going to do CDs, but you still went to record stores. Right mm-hmm. in the life of a millennial, though the way you listen to music has been blown up five or six or seven times. The whole thing that is your constant of how you consume the music you love has switched from CDs to MP3s, you know, um, to online, mm-hmm. to to um, permanent casts, anything you want available to you. Mm-hmm. Those are, so there's just four. There's probably more. Um, <laughs> And, but just that one thing, how, you know, so when we're young, it's so important how we get our music, right? It's mm-hmm. what we're eating, one of the things mm-hmm. we're eating, how we're learning about the world. And just those things were blown up instead of over four generations or 40 years or 60 years or 80 years, right? When we went from 78s to 33s, went from 33s to having 45s, from 45s and 33s to, to CDs. Those are like 20, 30, 40 year gaps. Yeah. And in a millennials like they've had four of those, and it's everything: how they watch, you know, what they watch, how they get uh, information, TV, right. how TV. they consume it. Yeah, yeah. So, in the brain of a millennial, is nothing is permanent. Here's a quote from one of my clients: Millennials have been brought up to not only disbelieve mainstream media, but to ignore it completely. They don't say it aloud, but in their minds, they're thinking: just because you say something doesn't mean I'm going to believe it. Yeah. Right? And there's the crux between this generation and every other generation. They have a wonderful opportunity that is that they don't have to they don't have to be the dancing monkey. Mm-hmm. 
right? They can right away jump to the fuck it monkey, not the fuck you monkey. And that means, you know, follow your bliss. Find out what it is. I can't tell you how many people in their late 20s or mid 20s say, hey, I have a psychology degree. I read about you. I want to be a mentor. And it's a brilliant gig. You know, the people that I'm training, whether they're in their boomer years or whether they're guys 25 or 30, um, they're almost always people who have had overcome something. So they had mm-hmm. like you know, a major depression or they had major anxiety or a phobia and they've risen above them. I'm one of those people I had extreme anxiety post first uh, marriage breakup. Um, and so that's one of the great skills you need for this amazing job to become a, a, a mentor, to become right. a life coach for other people. But there's all kinds of things that people can do. And so I say, um, embrace the impermanence of this world and that everything you were told no longer counts. That means anything is possible. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, it, it, people, people think that that was the disservice we did. Maybe the millennials as they were growing up, right? Where we were coddling them and saying, Hey, look, you know, if you dream it, you can achieve it and that kind of thing. But like you mentioned, I think the big shift the last uh, 15 years has been that in reality, technology got to the point where that's actually true. Yeah. You know, you have people that if you have a freaking iPod and Wi-Fi, you can start a business in, in yes. some third world countries, you know? That's right. And yeah. knowing that kind of then places um, maybe like, a, a, I don't want to say a, a bigger uh, chip on people's shoulders, but in reality, it's like, yeah, if you're complaining and you got all these setbacks and you got told you can't do this and you can't do that, well, then fuck it. You, you have to figure out your own way. You know, and with technology and everything else, in reality, yes, that that is possible. It um, is. And it's, it is. it's up to you, you know? Yes. And, and yeah, I mean, I think about, you know, I think honestly my – so as a late millennial, I think my generation may be the last one that really believed wholeheartedly, um, naively even, um, that – College was the way. Right. Yeah. College was the way. Yeah. And let's be honest, let's talk about it real quick. It's a two, three hundred year old uh institution that yeah. is big is now become big business, but is is too big to adapt and, and it, I don't know. I don't know if my so my son is gonna be eleven in May and my uh daughter is nine. I honestly don't know if in ten more years like, like I, I think it'll still be there. You know, you look at like the Harvards and the Yales, right? Like those sort of things, people yes. will still believe, okay, you have to go there to then, you know, just either go forward in life or even just to have fun for four years, whatever, right? right. But I, I honestly don't know if between things like, you know, Creative Live and, and live streaming education and online universities getting more clout, that it's going to be the same, that it's going to be that you have to do this. It won't. Yeah. yeah. And um, just like everything else has been blown up, it'll be yeah. blown up. Something cooler and better will be in its place. And there'll be somebody just like look at Amazon and look at bricks and mortar, right? There's yeah. still bricks and mortar. There's still real stores and some of them are great and you go there. And then you look at um, like an electronic store in, in and and like the people there are complete idiots. And I'm thinking, you are so not going to be here in two years. Yeah. You know, this is so much easier to do online. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and then and like you said, it's it's that shift. That's what's interesting. You know, yes. you look at like uh, you know Netflix, right? How yeah. years ago, no one believed them, and they thought the only TV was stupid, and Blockbuster could have bought them for pennies on the dollar, and yes. look what happened right. there, right? Yeah. And then yeah. they actually, 
got so big to the point where they started flipping traditional films and shows on their head and shows, you know, yeah. it's like, Oh, binge watching is a, a word, you know, it's a yes. thing. Um, yeah. and that was never the case. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah, it's, it's like you said, it's definitely, I, I always wonder this. I always wonder if we look back, right? Like say the way we look back on the Vietnam generation, World right. War Two, and the post depression right. generation. Right. I honestly wonder what people like, what our footnote is going to be for this generation this technology boom in the 2000s you know how we went from uh huge desktops to you know uh computers in our pockets you know in in just 10 years like you said the the rapid development is is unseen like anything else previously uh so i I wonder what 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 it's going to come of it you know whether it's going to be oh it's it's the you know the rapidization or the adaptation generation you know where where things change literally in six months to a year yeah. Millennials, I believe, are the bridge generation between everything that was and everything that's about to come. Mm, as, yeah, okay, that's uh, a good way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. As computers, uh, as as we, you know, Ray Kurzweil expects us to be part hybrid computer in the next twenty or thirty years. The mm-hmm. singularity is, you know, when AI consciousness becomes a thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, he has, I think, it's a film. I think it's called The Singularity Is Near. It's a great, great thing do i agree with everything he says no but um great seers aren't meant to be accurate on everything they're meant to shake us up and Mm -hmm. i think he is one of those people and what i would say to people is you know embrace the simplest things one of the things i noticed that i love about millennials is they're also into arts and crafts you know they're into simple stuff like like photography like painting like sculpture like uh, folk music so they have this connection worldwide um, and what they're missing is the depth. A lot of times, you know, they'll have more and more knowledge and they won't spend the time to go deeper. And that's mm-hmm. why every one of us needs a mentor. Every yeah. one of us needs a life coach, but not some guy who took a, a weekend course and, and then throws platitudes at you. Yeah. And, and, you know, most mentors are people who vomit their life experience at you and say, now you go do it. That's not a mentor. That's not a life coach. Right. You know, and it's not a millennial someone who's uh, self-absorbed and feels that they need to be fed, they are true first uh, generation of the internet computer world. And it is their job to say, okay, everything's blown up. That means I have freedom. Find a mentor. Find your bliss. And go after the things you love wisely. Right. Yeah. I mean, you said it. It's... it's um thinking about it that way right thinking about us as the bridge generation and us mm-hmm. as the the infancy of the real the real leap in technology yes um then you know what it's in that when you put it that way it's you know, people would say you know what i don't who can blame millennials for that's right for, for struggling you know yes completely. Um, because it's yeah if you were throwing all of that stuff at that age um, it's chaotic. It is chaotic. And then what, what I always think of, like, when I, what makes me laugh is are the boomers, right? That at 18 to 20, they had mortgage. It's uh, true. Kids. They're married. You know, two cars. You had marriage. Yeah, so I had brother and sister. Yeah. And then, or you had, um, even if you delayed that for a little bit, you, you, you went to college and you literally worked a job flipping burgers over the summer and then you could pay for your entire tuition yes. for that coming year. Yeah. And then, you know, you look at even, even when I, when I went to school, it was, you know, obviously it was expensive, but 
in just the last 10 years since I oh, graduated, uh, it's, I think it, it's gone up uh, more than doubled, you know, went yeah. from the average, I think went from around, uh, I think it was like $30,000 a year to about 60, you know, yes. or, or more, you know, almost yeah. 70. And then you sit there and go, Whoa, what? Other than like inflation, what do you have that really kind of accounts for that for that kind of jump when you say that you're teaching stuff that and, and it is hard. I understand it as a as college professors like or people who run these things, it is hard to develop a curriculum around something that within six months is gonna be obsolete. Obsolete, you know? So it, it is hard, it's a moving target yes. for sure. Yes, but I absolutely. think finally schools are starting to address it, whereas before they were just denying it. Yeah. And doing themselves a disservice, um, but yeah, I mean that. And I'm, I think about that. I think about if we thrusted this sort of technology and this sort of shift onto other generations, it would be the same exact thing. Absolutely, you know, absolutely. Work ethic it, and 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 expectations, or or um, uh, the, what they actually get out of it aside, you know. Yeah, do things you love that don't seem like work. Do things that you love. And they won't, you'll never work a day in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. I, I used to hear that a lot. And there's this, um, I don't know if you're, well, probably not being Canadian, but they're an American football fan. But um, there's, uh, I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan, where you be from. And uh, and there's this one um, player who was, a, who was like the heart and soul of the defense for years. And his name was Brian Dawkins. And they, they every year they make like a hype video before the season. And last year, um, they had him kind of, kind of not narrating it, but being the voice behind the whole thing. And he's a very like he he honestly this guy could be a motivational speaker uh, post you know his, his NFL career. And because uh, he says you know he says that because a lot of people say if you do what you love, you won't work a day in your life. Well, I say true. it's the opposite is true. <laughs> and if you do what you love, you're going to work harder than anyone else because you're going to see that you want to succeed. And you're true. going to be working twice as hard, true. Um, you know, to to make that kind of potential come true. And I thought that it's was true. pretty interesting. Yeah, it is true, but it won't feel like work. right, right, right. You'll gladly do it with a smile, or it's, at least you know, it, it's um, you know, um, when I do my work, like I have some days it's full days, and I have like six clients, mm-hmm. you know, who are in different degrees of a total fucked up life, and right. I, I care about these people. I see them twice a week, an hour, two times every week. And my job is to take people that no one could help and have them not only not be messed up, but really find their greatness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, on a Sunday, and I've had two days off and I'm starting my day and it's like, holy crap, how do I get through six hours of this? And then when I start, it's just like, I love every minute of it. I love every, even when it's challenging and it's hard and my heart's breaking because something's happened and, and it's reminding them of their issue or they're just starting and they don't know if they can believe that they can succeed. Mm-hmm. It's it's so wonderful to know you can change someone's life. I mean, that's the thing that I love. Right. And, um, and so even when it's hard, um, you're alive. You're like alive. So maybe it's a work, but you're alive. You're not right. flipping burger. Right. Or you're not saying shit you don't believe. You, you're there 100%. And if you can be alive when you're doing something, it's not work. And yes, you will work Five times harder, but you'll be alive. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I totally agree. Like you said, it, it's it's feeling the um, the not even the proof, but feeling that feeling in you 
that goes beyond looking for validation and right. and having those those you know those stars or those boxes checked off. Yeah, not um, the dancing and, monkey, the right? Fuck. In the ordinary, right, <laughs> right, right, right. All right, so Ken, yeah, I mean, we, you know, I, I know a lot of what we've been talking about um, and what you what you've been doing these these last you know so many years. Uh, working with with teens and working with um, you know their family and their parents and that kind of stuff. Uh, why don't you tell us a bit about real life coaching? Okay, uh, real life coaching um, is where um, I work with uh, people literally all over the world. A mm-hmm. lot of people in North America, people as far away as Switzerland, Lebanon, uh, Scotland, uh, depending on the time zones, right? Yeah, and when I, when I can handle them. Um, and essentially, I work with uh, troubled teens, young adults, and their families. And pretty much, I, I have like three groups of clients. I have the, the main groups. And, and the first group are, well, four. Okay, 72. No, four. <laughs> and um, <laughs> the three things are, thank you, one, two, five, five. Um, the first group are uh, people who are, you know, the stoners. Mm-hmm. Uh, the video game addicts, uh, often they're what I call the Justin Timers who did great in high school. They get to university and the university hands them their, 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 their courses on badly. And, um, and they start to doubt themselves. And, and so we use this system to help them find their personal power, how to make what I call micro successes and mm-hmm. build up a real inner frame so that when someone graduates from me, they're bulletproof. No matter what happens, they know how to take it apart, not freak out and go, okay, what worked, what didn't work? How do I take it? How do we move forward mm-hmm. and make it in an investigation? And after I started getting really good with that group, I started getting um, people with mental health issues. So I have clients with schizoph- who have been diagnosed with schizophrenia, bipolar, uh, depression. And uh, assuming they're on some form of something that's helping them with a chemical imbalance, if we want to call it that, Mm -hmm, I don't care if it's you know, if it's standard um, types of meds or if it's um, you know naturopathic, as long as it works and they're being seen by someone. Right. um, A lot of these people are told, "Okay, here it is. Sit in front of a TV. Fuck off. Don't bother us anymore. Go get uh, dispensation." And I say, "Dude, like." some of the greatest people have had mental health issues. Oh, yeah. And, and we can find their greatness uh, within that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you mentioned it. I mean, like, it's it's something that um, people don't realize. And, and it's something that I've been trying to do my part in being more open and, and can making some dialogue on that sense is that for a long time, I know maybe not so much in Canada, but uh, in North America, uh, mental We're part health, of North America, by the way, <laughs> uh, Northeast. So now there you yeah, go. Okay, yeah. um, it, uh, there's a lot of stigma um, with mental everywhere. health. Oh, everywhere, everywhere, right, right. everywhere, and and it's but it's to the point where like it's, ridiculous. It's, it's almost like it, it's a it's taboo and unspoken of. And then, but you say, okay, it's gotten better, right? So we look at like the boomers, right? It's like the fifties. If your wife was depressed, you put her in insane asylum. <laughs> like that was what you right. did. Or you, you, there was a, or Xanax was a, or whatever. Right, it was that was the start of this uh, the medication and stuff like that. Yes. Um, so, or like the day drinking, you know, when everyone in their home in the fifties and sixties had a home bar, you know, that yes. was stacked uh, or yes. stocked. And, but both. <laughs> yeah. Um, but 
it, if you were lucky. Yeah, right. But it's it's tough because you know, like you said, it's if we're honest with ourselves, everyone a lot more it's not everyone, a lot of people are afflicted. Um Absolutely. And anxiety you know, is massive. Exactly. Exactly. Massive. And it and it's it's like you said, it's even the people that we think are are, are truly gifted and, and really sucks to yes. say this in terms of creatives. You think about like how many people like Robin Williams last year, you know, uh, Heath Ledger. Yes. I mean, yes. there's so many yes. that are uh, either musicians or actors or artists and they're truly gifted on top of the world in terms of their talent and their career. But they have all these demons. They don't talk about them. And then they end up taking their own right. life. And yes. and I think it's even more so now with the social media generation because yes. everyone, whether you have a business or not, is aware of like their self branding, right? It's true. So you don't want you don't <laughs> want to put out this certain thing like I'm happy, I'm successful, I'm in a great relationship, not you know I'm depressed, I'm I'm anxious all the time to the point of of being shut down, and and uh, I need help. And yeah. it, it's, 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 it's tough, man. It's really hard it's, to it's, battle through that, to tell people yes. like get out of the mentality that, that being open and honest about what you're struggling with is going to lose clients or turn away potential clients. Yeah. Uh, instead, look at it like you're being like a transparent big buzzword nowadays. Like we're being transparent or vulnerable yeah. and people, I think that's why we see this shift of like, actual reality tv not like what we had in the early 2000s where it was all scripted now it's like literally all streaming live because we're maybe as a people we're 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 tired of the polished you know product we want something more kind of genuine and real and raw um and i'm although it's all scripted (laughs) right right or we hope that you know that's the 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 turning point of of people feeling like they can be open with that kind of stuff um, you know, but at the same time, you, you never know. It's true. Um, you know, the, so I, I was talking about the second group, which is mm-hmm. the mental health people. Um, anxiety is probably the number one thing I see with all of the millennials that I deal with. Right. And, uh, after my first marriage ended in divorce and it was a psychiatrist so she really knew how to mind oh, <laughs> and um you know i thought you, things you, were forever you never won that. any argument in that in that marriage huh oh uh, i did until uh, the gloves were off <laughs> right um and the, my anxiety got so crippling like i couldn't go into a car i couldn't get into the back seat of the car i couldn't get into a subway i couldn't get into a bus mm. i couldn't feel comfortable in my own place like you know even i think about it, i can kind of remember it and I had taught these things when I was doing the healing work about grounding and about breathing and about visualization. But I had to create like a whole new version that I'd never seen anywhere for extreme anxiety. And it worked. And, mm-hmm. and with the people that I have with anxiety, you know, I'll say to them after you, do you remember how you had, you couldn't get out of bed because like you were so paralyzed? Because, oh my God, you're right. Because you don't remember what's normal. Like, right. you know, you forget that it's yeah. better. Yeah. But, I can tell people with anxiety that there are ways around it and you need to have someone outside of your circle. You need a mentor, mm-hmm. you need someone, you know, therapists are great for certain things, but a good life coach, a good mentor is another great tool to add to the things that you do. And I want right. to talk about the third group and it's yeah. another very important group and that's the people 
on the uh, higher functioning level of autism called Asperger's, or used to be called Asperger's before the DSM-5 took it out, so now it's all considered autism, um, which a lot of people have problems with. A lot mm-hmm. of and so uh, a third of the people I work with have Asperger's syndrome. And, um, you know, there are suggestions that people like Bill Gates have Asperger's and hmm. Einstein had Asperger's. Right. Um, but it's that whole thing of whatever you are. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Isn't he Spanish? I think that's <laughs> you know. Um, and so um, it's another group that I think sometimes I wonder if it's actually an evolution of mankind, right. the people Asperger's. But the, um, the challenges that they have in understanding mainstream stuff like um, em, uh, emoting and connecting in certain ways or dealing with their anger, mm-hmm. um, I work with them entirely differently than I work with my other two groups of clients because um, it's almost like we have to teach them. One of my clients said a great thing. He's a 15-year-old client. He says, I'm, you know, everyone says I'm not empathetic. I'm incredibly empathetic. I don't get it. Right. And so yeah. when you explain to me what you're feeling when I'm saying that, I feel terrible and I want to make sure I can change that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that. Right. You have to teach me that. And yeah. so th- that's what we do. And, and this is a huge group uh, – I don't know the exact number, so forgive me if I'm off, but I think 20 years ago it was 1 in 20,000 and now it's 1 in 58 or something mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. with autism. It's scary and yet it's such a beautiful group of people and they have so much to add to this world. Two of the articles on my Huffington Post, three now, were written by one of my clients who was oh, wow. 14 and 15 and 16 um, about um, what it's like to, to um, live in that world. One of them was about Rudolph Red-Nosed Reindeer. Oh, yeah, yeah. I did see that. Yeah, how it's a bullshit story. (laughs) Yeah, well, no, he didn't say those words. He would have if I let him. (laughs) But he said, you know, it's terrible if you have Asperger's because what it says is if you're different, screw you unless we can use you for something worthwhile, then we'll like you as long as you're useful. Wow. So he said that and people freaked. So half the people got it and other half people were freaked. And so he turned to me and he said, I think we have to make the next article a little more positive. <laughs> well, you know how it was it a is. good it's, lesson for him, right? It's for, but honestly, I think to that effect, it's, as a writer, it's perfect because you yeah, you, you do so, yeah. want to get people to the point where they're a little uncomfortable, but at yeah. least they're going to agree. Okay, you got punched in the mouth for sure, but now think <laughs> about it. You know what I mean? Like take a step back, and and if you if you're a lot of times as we know, if you have the need the most knee jerk reaction. You're probably the one that really needs to hear it and needs to take a step back and go, well, why are you uh, reacting the way you are? You know, why yes. are you are you so quick to, to jump um, yeah. at this 14-year-old no, we, kid's throat, you know? If we can only teach that to Donald Trump, <laughs> the world will be a better place. Right. right. Oh, man. But, but don't get me started on that. No. So, so that's a good point. So 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 you mentioned that, right? And I and not to get huge into politics, we had we have a couple of Canadian people been on the show, and we thought they uh-huh. they just they literally laugh and they go the, the if you think about the Canadian elections are what like a month or two, right? Yeah, for, for some yeah. stuff. And they go when you think about dragging on for like a year or two, they go, what are you guys doing? It's and, theater, man. Yeah, oh yeah, it's all theater. So reality TV. Yeah. So being a Canadian, <laughs> right? Like as, right? As a couple of our guests, eight, you, you may eight, one of your eight. <laughs> yeah, you may have uh, not have experience with this, but. 
in American schools, uh, dwindling budgets have caused schools to cut music and art programs yes. entirely. So it's yeah, not like yeah. they're they're strapped. Sometimes they just Same cut here. them. Right, they just cut them. What are your thoughts on 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 schools like sending that message that the arts are not important on a child's development? Well, I I go back to what my millennial so wisely said, and that is just because you say something doesn't mean I'm going to believe it. Right. I think that uh, one of the great things that I love about millennials are they're not buying the shit that the, that the institutions are selling. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that I don't think that the fact that um, schools have uh, kicked arts to the curb is stopping millennials. And again, it's one of the things I love about millennials is mm-hmm. they they go, yeah, whatever, we're going to do it on our own. We're gonna right. we're gonna beatbox. We're gonna do this. We're gonna we're we're gonna right. we're gonna create home uh, studios. Like we have the ability now on a Mac or on a PC to create, you know, professional high end quality recordings in our, in our bedrooms. So the uh, ability, again, one of those things that's changed for music to come out and music is coming out. I forget some famous artist just did a a whole album in her bedroom. I can't remember who it was. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, that's how, you know, music has changed. So I think that what I would say to young people is, you know, whatever it is that you love, you know, whether it's karate, whether it's jazz, whether it's bebop, whether it's, you know, old funk, whatever it is, go out and play it. Find people who love it. You know, through the internet, it's easier. Um, And go after those hobbies. Those hobbies are going to help you sell yourself in whatever business you get more than the education as much. Right. So the education I still think is important. Of course. Uh, Maybe not just the classical education. There's other ways. Right. But your hobbies are what's going to give you a wider scope to embrace the world and find that thing. Like you with photography. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that's uh, um, affected how you do everything else that you do in your life. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, so it was funny when I was, uh, in my twenties and I was, I was, all I had was photography. So when I, when I, mm. when I graduated college, I got into it. I did it. I actually did it when I was going to grad school and then I got my first job, uh, working full time at a high end studio in Connecticut, mm. um, while I was going to, to grad school. And then as I kept trying to look for other jobs, um, it, photography was still the constant. So it was funny when I used to go on these jobs, they'd see my resume and it would be all this school and then it would just be photography. And they'd, they'd be like, well, that's nice, but I don't really see how that pertains to this job. And then I go, really? I beg to differ. Then you're I, the wrong place for me, buddy. Right. And then I would go, uh, it, it obviously I, I do a lot with like persistence, determination, dealing with rejection, um, yeah. you know, uh, being my own brand. Yes. Uh, wearing oh, a lot yeah. of hats, right? If you yeah. figure if I get this job, I go I go to meetings and I work for, you know, this big company and they'll take the meeting. So whether they, you know, uh, whether they really like me or not, I might get their business. Now, if I am my own, I am my own entity and there's no one behind me and it's just me, they, if they don't look, they don't like my fucking haircut or the, the way I talk, that's it. I'm not getting it. I don't care how good my portfolio is. I might not get it. So, so it, it's a much different dynamic um, and to say at that time I was doing pretty well and getting some bigger clients in that area. So I was like, you know, look, like you, if you look at my fine photo work and what I'm doing and all that kind of stuff, it, I think that speaks volumes to my self-starter uh, mentality yes. and to my, cause Absolutely. let's be honest, you know it, I could have sat home and smoked weed and played video games that exactly. entire time instead, yeah. you know, but I chose not to. Um, 
So, so I know you just mentioned something that was important. Like what we talk about a lot in, in photography and the creative arts, like personal projects, right? So yeah. things that you would do in your downtime mm-hmm. and not expect compensation and just do because you want to do it. Right. Do those kind of exist in your line of work or do you just get into like hobbies? Like you said, like maybe you start drumming again a little bit on the side or, or, or something like that. And, and what are your, I mean, obviously I get your thoughts on personal projects as a whole from your last, uh, your last comment, but right. what, what about you and what you do? So it's a good, it's a great question. So there's two parts to it. First of all, um, as someone who's training people to be life coach, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things. This is my gig. So this is my hobby. This right. was a hobby. I, you know, I'd have a few clients. I loved doing it, and it was something I did on the side. And then, you know, everything else fell apart. And I said, I wonder if there's more people right. out there who could use this. And so I took something that I loved and I, I put into a business. And the other thing that I love is I love writing. I love talking about. Um, this different way that I see millennials and and how to help them be great. So like, you know, I write for Huffington Post. I have a book on Amazon called The Slacker's Guide to Success. Mm-hmm. Now for only $17.95. <laughs> um, and um, the um, opportunities to write are something that I really, really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And now there's talk about actually me doing a radio show about teaching people to mentor millennials, focusing totally on that to help boomers understand these things. And so I'm trying to put that together. I have some people excited about it. It would be in Canada. So I think they pay me in snow and beer. (laughs) And and maple syrup, yeah. (laughs) And maple syrup. Uh, And I have to say A a lot more. Um, And then for myself, uh, personal growth, um, I love... um, like we go, I'm, we, we moved because we do everything virtually. Mm-hmm. We moved onto the water. So we have a lakefront property. I've learned now how to bend a propeller uh, really well. <laughs> nice. And uh, we're, we're near the woods. So, you know, every morning I go for nice long walks with my, with my pooch and um, got a piano. I got my percussion and um, I try to play hmm, probably half an hour every day just to, and I love old jazz standards, so I work on, on those. And nice. uh, I love pinball. By the way, I'm I'm looking for a Twilight Zone for a good price. <laughs> Get it to Canada. Let me know. Thank you very much. Mm. Or a Simpsons Pinball Party. You people nice. know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. But um, so I have my pinball collection, and I'll play probably 15 minutes to half an hour a day on, on that. Nice. And so... Those are things that I, I do in, in whatever it is that I do. And I love reading. So, right. you know, like I'm very into Joseph Campbell again. Right, right, right. A lot. So um, I'll be listening to uh, audiobooks or um, uh, um, I thought the audiobooks were the dumbest thing in the world, but I'm a musician and right. they're the most brilliant thing. I must have like 200 of them now. And uh, I love that that whole thing. That's so those awesome. are, I guess, what I do. In, yeah. You know, um, and like you mentioned that those are, those are, those are, yeah, those are active, um, you know, things that you're trying to do to uh, help crap. with your, right. Your balance. <laughs> creative, and, right. reflective. And, oh wait, did I say to do that wrong? <laughs> something creative, something reflective and something physical. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And okay. There you go. I was like, Have more crap in your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you, you touched upon something a little bit. It's like a fairly, a fairly large constant with a lot of our guests is, is meditation. Yes. Um, so I know you, you've spoken about it, uh, with, um, you know, regards to your, your Reiki stuff and, and, and healing and stuff like that, but what, what are there types that you practice, 
Yes. Um, and how have you seen that kind of help in, in your life and career overall? Uh, so this is how I explain meditation. And, you know, all my met, uh, millennials say, I can't meditate. Like right. I tried, yeah. Yeah. everyone's tried to show me and dude, I can get anyone meditating in like 10 minutes, really mm. truly. And if, if we have time, I thought I, I set up if we, if we can, I don't yeah. know. Uh, to do one online, like right here with your guys, so they can see. Wow, it's like, I think that'd be cool. Yeah, we only have about uh, four questions left, so if we can keep the awesome. uh, responses tight, we can have some time for sure. <laughs> so um, I'm a big fan of what's called mindfulness-based meditation, mm -hmm. and so to me, um, I like the idea of learning to uh, really focus on the breath, which a lot of people talk about. Mm -hmm. um, I also really like the idea of being aware of sounds in the outside world and then being able to let go of them and be judgment-free. Just notice them and let them go. And then ultimately to be able to see the thoughts in your head or perceive the thoughts in your head as um, different, um, oh, this is a past thought. This is about fear. This is worry. And so you, you see a thought and you just categorize it and then you let it go and try to be in between the thoughts. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately, um, imagine all of mankind, how much they were inspired by looking up at the stars mm. throughout yeah. all of history. Yeah. What if you couldn't see the stars? What if you could only see the lake, the lovely lake outside my lake? Um, and it was always choppy. There was always waves. And so what you saw when you looked up at the sky was like this distorted thing, little fragments. And then all of a sudden, you could, through a magic power of breath, make that lake become perfectly still and see the sky. And so that's what meditation is. Mm -hmm. So that water is our, is our chattering mind. And that sky is that those stars are that greatness that's in every one of us. Every one of us really does have greatness. Mm -hmm. But to do that, we have to quieten that mind. And, you know, people say, well, I can't meditate for 10 minutes. Who the hell can meditate for 10 minutes? If you get three seconds where your mind's not chattering, you're doing awesome. Yeah. And if you get 10 three-second moments in 10 minutes, then that's like incredibly, incredibly good. It's called a practice. No one ever says, I'm a professional meditator. No, <laughs> I practice, right? right? I practice meditation yeah. because I'm going to have good days. I'm going to have bad days. So I'm never great. Um, Dalai Lama practices meditation. Yeah. If he's practicing, I'm practicing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So low expectations, micro successes, and what you ultimately will happen is if you do this on a regular basis, if you can get to 30 minutes a day, which I know sounds insane. So like I have video, I have audio uh, files people get through me on, on my line mm -hmm. where you can do like 10-minute ones, then 15-minute ones, then 20-minute ones, then 25-minute ones. So you slowly build it up. And if you can get to 20 minutes a day um, – you will f go in a situation and go, wow, I didn't punch that guy in the mouth. Normally I would have. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, like you'll find that your um, higher self is um, engaged much more in your daily life. Mm -hmm. So that's what I, I love about meditation. And what I start with is visualization. If I can get you to picture something, then I'm using the same principle. Right. And ultimately that will get you to meditation. That's what I tell millennials. Nice. I mean, like you said, I, I think the biggest takeaway from that was um, was something that a lot of us or actually people in general struggle with is is 
is realizing that if you can't give it or you can't do it to 100%, it's okay. You know, it's like I said, if you can't do 10 minutes a day, that's fine. Don't feel like you're a failure. If you can do, you know, it's like using those building blocks, you know, doing a little bit each day. And if you can, in a a year, six months, whatever, work up to 10 minutes, great. That's it. At least you're making the little steps every, every day. That's how we started life. You know, when we looked, you look at a kid learning how to like fill glasses with water and they, you know, they spill it and they pour it and they just go over and over and over until they get, until they understand, oh man, you like, you hold like this and then the water doesn't spill. And we, we lose it as we get older and we have to have that childlike innocence, right? That third level of childlikeness where we don't mind just trying shit and it right. doesn't work. It's like, okay, cool. Try it another way. You yeah, know, like, un, like that unstructured play kind of thing. That's right. That's right. what we need right. in our lives. Yeah. So uh, these last two get a little deep and then we can get into, I really want to check out, like you said, the, um, you know, the, the meditation guide. So right. what's the biggest risk you've taken in your artistic career? Besides this radio show? <laughs> um, what's the greatest risk I've taken in my career? I think I, I constantly take risks mm-hmm. and each one is crazy. So when I, um, when I came here because a voice told me to come to Toronto mm-hmm. and uh, had no plan. That was a pretty crazy risk. And, you know, I thought, you know, if you, if you hear it, it sounds cool. When you live it, it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I was living in my brother's basement for six months and he wasn't fun to live with. He made life <laughs> living hell. And, and then when he kicked me out, cause I wouldn't clean up his dirt on the living room floor, literally true. That's the story. You know, my response was instead of go back to being a salesman, I said, I'm going to teach meditation, right. which was again, a crazy risk. Um, and then when I had this accident and I could no longer um, teach drums or, or, or piano, which had been my whole life, mm-hmm. you know, my response is, I'll be a cantor. And then I went into that. And then after three years, I realized uh, I can never be a brilliant cantor, just an okay cantor. I then said, I wonder if there's more kids who need help. And so right. each one of those were crazy risks. Yeah. And um, I think that that's what life is. Life is just, you know, what I love about Apple is they will eat their young. They will take something that they've done and they'll say, okay, yeah, iPod was what made us famous. We're going to throw it out. We're going to have like iPhones. We won't need an iPod. And, you know, and like they keep uh, are willing to destroy and rebuild. Mm-hmm. And so I say risk often, but risk wisely. Mm-hmm. And then wisely, I mean from your heart. So that, that would be my very long answer to that. <laughs> no problem. So name your worst fear. I was afraid you'd ask. <laughs> um, my worst fear. No, it's how I'm turning the tables on you, right? It's a great question. <laughs> what is my worst fear? Having everything that it takes to help someone and not being able to help them. Yeah. The so, having that that help that helpless feeling it's not even uh I, I, it's uh i guess it's not helplessness it's it's like you know someone's in a burning building and you have this cool new gadget that if they jump on it will save them and they look at they go i'm not fucking going on that and you're like you know and you're like this is gonna save you man and they're going uh i'd rather burn thank you very much and <laughs> That I think is my greatest fear, and so right. maybe that is helplessness, helplessness or hopelessness, where where um, you feel 
that you have that thing and that that person's not willing to take that right, step. Right. Well, you, you can't help them in the way that you, you know can't you can. Right. Until they're willing to make that first step. That's hard for me. Or right. a parent that I know is going to destroy anything I do with their kid. And I know that, and I know I can help them and they're not going to let me. That That's, I think, the one thing I fear. Okay. Overall, I'm kind of, I think, fearless from a, Went to the point of stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, uh, what would you say is your most meaningful moment of your career thus far? Besides this, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, again, there there are a series. I think that uh, I think that moment when I said, "I wonder if there's more fucked up kids in the world." Mm-hmm. I think that was a very meaningful moment, and I think that. Uh, I had to do three years of a complete fucking waste of time, you know, which was putting all my heart and soul into becoming a cantor and studying hours and hours and putting all my money into it. And I needed to do that. I need to do three years of a total waste of time. And I'm I'm connecting this to people going to university. Not that that's a waste of time necessarily, but, um, I needed all that for that one second where my brain, my higher brain said, I wonder if, Mm -hmm. and that was the thing that changed my whole life. Yeah. So I I think that that moment, uh, and it it often comes when you're doing something that's completely wrong or has put you into the desert. It's put you into that, into this other place. And instead you could either go, I wasted my money. I'm a need or, or screw you or, or, or screw the world. Or you go, Hmm, maybe, you know? and, And so, that moment was was um, a life changing moment for me. Okay, and, and they're the quiet little moments. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, it, it, those little victories, right? And realizing that yeah. that like being aware, yeah, um, that those things really have a much more meaning than probably face value when they happen. Yeah. So, what would you say is your biggest regret in your career? Besides. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I used to think that my I have very very few regrets. In my life. And the one thing I used to regret was the 10 years I spent smoking copious amounts of weed <laughs> when I was when I was in jazz clubs. You know, right. I, I was playing with this guy, Nelson, and he was really not only a brilliant gentleman, but a brilliant jazz guitarist. And people would try to impress us by bringing weed all the time. <laughs> and I was okay with that. Yeah. And, and I hated smoke, and I was allergic to smoke. And I wouldn't let anyone sit at our table with a cigarette in their hand because you could smoke in, in bars in those days. And they'd go, you know, I don't get it. I just like smoking weed and you won't let me smoke. I said, when I smoke, I get I get to enjoy it. Right. <laughs> when yeah, you true. smoke, I get allergies. Yeah. So fuck off. <laughs> so <laughs> and I could say that because I was in the band. Yeah. So uh, for years I regretted that because it uh, you know, it was it was such a struggle to stop smoking weed. Mm-hmm. Because it really had a hold on me. Like yeah. there's there's people who can smoke weed, and they, there's weekend warriors, and there's holiday warriors, and there's nighttime warriors. I was a wake and baker, right. and I when once I started getting into it, I was a, a serious smoker. And at least for me, the thought was, well, you know, if I stop smoking weed, I won't play as well, or I won't write as good songs. Like you know, all the bullshit that, or the right. honest to goodness, fears that I really was afraid of that. Yeah. Um, and then I, I fell madly in love with the wife who would destroy my brain and my heart. Um, I'm now very, very happily married. Um, not to that one. Um, <laughs> but I was so in love then, and I just stopped smoking. And then I forgot. And then it couldn't be bothered. And then it was six months. And now I don't know if it's 20 years or 25 years. And I'd regretted smoking until I started working with millennials who 
have these weed problems. And, uh, you know, I never tell a client to stop smoking weed. Mm -hmm. I never do. And most of my clients stop smoking weed. And, and how is that? Very good question. It's because <laughs> I'm a ventriloquist. <laughs> so um, it, it's because, you know, they fix their goals. They fix their challenges. They fix their signposts of success. Mm -hmm. They do a daily routine. And then they start seeing that things are messing up for this or that. Oh, yeah. Well, if I smoke weed and, and watch Netflix till 6 in the morning, it's really hard to work out the next day at yeah. 8. Yeah. You know, and so they start making choices that brings them to decide which one are they? Are they like me, someone who if I smoke one joint, I'll be I'll be screwed again. Mm -hmm. That's who I am. Mm -hmm. Or are they a weekend warrior or are they nighttime wizard? They have to learn that. And by having gone through that and realizing you can't judge people or say that you know the answer for them. Right. Uh so what was 10 years of of a lot of wasted money and time? Uh, has immensely helped my clients. Yeah, like you said, it, it, it's um, like a lot of, you know, what what I teach and stuff like that is the same thing in the sense of, well, I might just, okay, so it's like, like you said, you can't really tell anyone to do anything. All I can do is show you the tools, right? So exactly. what you decide to do with them is literally up to you. Yes. Um, so there's some people who, who, like when I teach one of the intro photography classes, they'll take it and they'll struggle and they're overwhelmed and then they'll decide to take it over again. And huh. I'll, I'll never tell them not to, you know, but, but then I'll say to them, well, listen, how about we really attack why you didn't get it the first time and why you feel the need to come back? Beautiful. Um, because that's probably more important than you simply saying you just didn't get it. That's great um, mentoring, by the way. Yeah. Cause, cause then there's people who like literally will, I'll, I'll, t I'll teach them a little bit. And uh, then all of a sudden, they got the bug you know what i mean so they're, right. they're coming right. um the next class they're just showing up and being like oh dude check out i got this new bag look at all these lenses i got take out these photos oh. i took i went to this place like check this out and they're showing me their new website they're showing me their new business nice. cards and i'm like holy shit that's awesome yeah but at the same time knowing that you can't expect either one from anyone that's right is 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 something that um I had to not deal with, but I had to get to that point. That's beautiful. Yeah, because because then you say as a as a person who's helping other people, then you go, okay, am I a failure with the people who don't get it, or no? You just say like your maybe your approach has to be a little bit different for this person because everyone right. learns differently, That's whatever right. else. Yeah. Um. So listen, Ken, thank you for taking the time out. We've had so My much pleasure. amazing stuff that we can do two amazing episodes that I think oh, would great. be would be great. Um. So I'm gonna go into the last two questions and then we can do the uh, meditation. Wait, wait. Yep. Is there is there a physics question? <laughs> no, you think. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah. So, where can people check out your stuff and learn more about what you do? Okay, so there are two different components of what I do. One is to help uh, millennials. Um, so, if they're having issues or they're not doing well, and they'd like to look at being mentored, they can go to um, Real Life Coaching, one word, Real Life Coaching .ca, and there's all the information there and um, now, if you click on and ask for a free 50-minute consult, um, you'll get a free 50-minute consult. But if they tell me that they came from you and that they watch the show, mm -hmm. I'm going to double that. So I'm going to give them a free half hour with me Awesome. Um, if they mention the radio program. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, it's my pleasure. I've been lo I love being here. And then for people uh, of any age, over 25, who are seriously thinking about be doing this as a living, to become a life coach, to become a mentor... Uh, go check out my uh, other website, 
which is world, it's a long name, worldwideyouthmentoring.com uh, or www.ym.org. A little confusing there. <laughs> but www.ym.org uh, will bring you to my site, which um, is essentially everything about my philosophy and how to become a great life coach and mm -hmm. all components. And the same deal. So if you look at it and you read through it and you really want to do it, you get a free 15-minute consult. If they mention your radio show, then uh, don't don't just say, I'm an angry millennial. Say, I listen to angry millennials. <laughs> right, to your episode. But, right. Wait, I listen to angry millennials all the day. <laughs> and so um, uh, and do that, and you'll get a half hour instead of 15 Awesome. Minutes. Okay. Thank you again. We really appreciate that. And we'll be sure awesome. to add that to, uh, to the post when the episode goes up. Great. So last but not least, who's someone that you would like to hear us talk to on the show? So uh, that's a really, really good question. <laughs> and again, I always, I always ask this at the end. And if you, um, if people give us an example, great. If they say, "Listen, I have a whole bunch," and I'll just email you later, that's fine too. Could you have God on? I would really <laughs> like to hear what, God? She to, what she has to say. <laughs> um, I, I would love for you to have Native American or Native Canadian leaders on your show mm -hmm. that talk about how they work with people of the millennial age. Um, from a tribal or community perspective. I don't think that we hear enough about um, people who, you know, who have lived here forever and have this great culture. Mm -hmm. And they're starting to do some really cutting edge and some brilliant things about connecting tribe. And I would love to hear someone like that interviewed yeah. by you. No, I think that'd be great because like you said, it's like the, um, the age-old saying, you know, it takes a village you know, it does. Um, it's, and, and even if it's a virtual one. Yeah. And I, I think that definitely going a little old school, if you will, yeah. um, would be, would be great. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank listen. you so much for having me. No, of course. Thank you, Ken. Uh, and we have about probably uh, six or seven minutes or so. So oh, good. why don't we, yeah, why don't we let you kind of take the reins and I literally will mute and just be a, uh, uh, I will be literally a, um, passenger okay. for this voyage. If I, if I see you snoring, I'll just... Uh, I'll <laughs> so no do not do this if you're driving. <laughs> um, and I'm going to do exactly six minutes here. Okay. So cool. preferably, um, you should be sitting in a comfortable chair with your feet on the floor comfortably, your hands by your side. If you're lying down, lie down in a straight position. And we'll start. Now relax. Let your mind focus on my words and let your breathing begin to flow slowly in and out easily and deeply and as you breathe in feel your belly expand as much as it comfortably can and then as you exhale feel your belly button going back towards your spine Breathe in slowly, letting your belly expand. And then exhale, letting your belly button go back towards your spine. Now keep doing this for a few moments. And follow the breath as it goes in and out. And while you keep focusing on your breathing, 
Allow yourself to consider creating a calm, relaxing flow with each breath in and out. Knowing that each breath comes from the infinite supply of air that is a gift from the earth all around you. Now continue enjoying this relaxing movement of the air flowing in and out for the next few moments. And while you do that, imagine that you're on the ceiling looking down upon yourself from a place outside of your body, away from judgment, away from fears, beyond all worries. And simply take a bit of time to make an inventory of where your body, your mind, and your emotions are right now. Look or feel through your body for any tensions, any pains, or anything you may become aware of. Just be conscious of it. Now look or feel through your mind for any low vibrational thoughts. Thoughts of self-judgment, judging others, or any negative thoughts that go through your mind from time to time. Simply be aware of them. Finally, look or feel through your emotions for any low vibrational feelings. Feelings of sadness, of anger, fear, insecurities. Any feeling that takes you away from being your best. Now choose one or a few of the things that you wish to let go of for the next few moments in time and let them Gently flow out with every exhaled breath. Perceive them gently flowing off into the distance each time you exhale. Keep doing this for a few moments. Now imagine a quality you'd like to bring in for this moment in time and breathe it into you as you breathe in from head to toe. Peace, relaxation, love. Any quality you'd like to amplify within yourself right now, any quality you like, feel it coming in through the top of your head, right down through your whole body, filling you up completely from head to toe as you breathe in. Keep exhaling the things you wish to let go of on the out-breath and take in the qualities you'd like to fill yourself up with as you breathe in for the next few moments. Now as you exhale, say the word calm in your mind and feel calmness wash over you. And on the next breath, as you exhale, say relaxed and feel relaxation filling you up. And on the third deep breath, as you exhale, choose the word of the things that you would like to be filled with today and say that word. Exhale, calm. Breathe in. Exhale, relax. 
Breathe in. Exhale today's word. Very good. Now in a moment, I'm going to count from one to five, and you'll return to full consciousness, feeling energized, awake, feeling very, very positive, full of positive energy. One, slowly and easily, you're returning to full consciousness once again. Two, in every way, you are feeling calm, relaxed, serene. Number three, every muscle, nerve, and fiber in your body is vibrating with a higher vibration of love and positive energy. On the number four, your eyes are beginning to feel sparkling clear. On the next number, open your eyes, take a deep breath, and stretch. Five, open your eyes, take a deep breath, and stretch. All right, guys, hope you just enjoyed that great episode. Now let's get back to it with Digital Transitions. They're hiring a head of design, web, and social media for their New York office. So be sure to check out that job. Share it with your friends if you know anybody who'd be a great addition to the Digital Transitions team. Now what they're doing for us is amazing. They're giving away 27% off your first phase one rental when you mention Angry Millennial. 40% off Capture One Styles using coupon code ANGRY40. 15% off Capture One Master's Program using coupon ANGRY15. And 12% off Capture One Pro using coupon ANGRY12. Check out all of these discounts at digitaltransitions.com backslash angry.